I feel like for those of us who are in the cybersecurity industry, especially for those of us who get to a position of leadership, we get targeted with so many people that we can become very distrustful. I used to work for Disney. You trying to get access to the mouse or do you want to talk to Malia? That can be really challenging to understand. Welcome to Audience First, a podcast for tech marketers looking to break out of the echo chamber to better understand their audience and turn them into loyal customers. Every week, Danny Wolf has brutally honest conversations with busy tech buyers about what really motivates them, the things they hate that vendors do, and what you can do about it. Get access to practical information on how to build authentic relationships with your audience. Listen to and talk with your buyers and apply real customer insights to your strategies and tactics. You owe it to the world to unmute your mic. Are you ready? As marketers, salespeople, vendors, we need to do things a little bit more ethically and morally for the sake of the industry. And, you know, it'll sound utopian, but for the sake of the goddamn world. So... I said, let's create a podcast and help other marketers who are maybe a little bit of afraid to talk to or apprehensive to, to talk to security practitioners and, and, and just give that access to information and kind of teach them how to do it themselves. And I'm learning as I go, but, you know, I launched a month ago, literally a month or two days ago, and it's absolutely incredible how much insight I've gotten from just six conversations. Yeah, that's so, that's great. I'm I'm glad that you started that because it's I feel like for those of us who are in the cybersecurity industry and especially for those of us who get to a position of leadership um, or if we're at a fancy company with a big title, um, we get targeted with so many people that we can become very distrustful and you you kind of get like the squint eye and the side eye like all right who are you are you really trying to talk to me because you like me as a human or are you trying to get access to you know for instance i used to work for disney you trying to get access to the mouse or do you want to talk to malia ah uh, that could be really challenging to understand um and I've actually had some people reach out to me because they're like, oh, hey, I see what you're doing with your nonprofit, CyberDEI. I also care about diversity. Hey, check out this product that I'm trying to sell to you. Oh, oh, do not try to tell me you care about diversity, equity, inclusion, and then sell me a product. Nope, that is a hard block. I will never talk to you again. No, do not bring in my passions and something like that into a sales call. Wow, was mm -hmm. that a bad, bad entrance. Holy cow. Um, you know, that's so I'm I'm glad that you're doing this. It's like actually talking to like, hey, what do we want to hear? What do we wanna what do we want to talk about? How could you talk to us? Because we're already in cybersecurity, very suspicious people by nature. Uh are we getting fished right now? I don't know. Is this legit? Um so I'm glad that you're having these conversations. Hopefully this yeah. helps other people learn. Well, I can say that the feedback from the listeners has been overwhelming. We published, I don't even know, was it eight, eight or nine episodes already? And the, yeah, mm -hmm. so the feedback has been overwhelming. The subscription ba base is growing. I just want to share that information for others so that we're, we're a little bit a little bit more meaningful and, and thoughtful in, in, in what we're doing. So Malia, why don't you go go ahead and tell me who, who you are, uh, what do you do, and why the hell do you do it? 
All right. So <clears throat> my name is Malia. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. I have been in cybersecurity, let's see, since my Navy days. Uh, so I am a Navy veteran. Um, for anyone who is listening who is a veteran, I was a sonar technician second class, E5. I basically call myself a floating systems administrator. I was also in charge of all of our secret data on the ship and also in charge of making sure that everyone did their cybersecurity training. That was my first introduction to cybersecurity. Um, that's not actually what I went to school for. Thought I was going to go to school and uh, be a civil rights attorney. Really passionate about uh, defending the rights of of those who you know do not have the same privileges as I do. And recession hit. That sucked. Um, and what's interesting is like my whole life, I grew up. Uh, my dad was an electrician, so <clears throat> I grew up tearing apart electronics and helped my dad wire houses. Um, I was at a side hustle in college where I'd fix my my classmates' laptops and their computers and things. But that that pathway is never open to me as a woman. Uh, the only real computer classes we had at college was like computer programming. Spoiler alert, I suck at programming. I failed C++. I failed Java. And I was like, computers are just not for me, y'all. All right. So I was actually really thrilled. Like the Navy was where I got to get reintroduced to, into computers, but then doing it in a way that was like networking and like physical hardware and tracking the signal and data flow and all that. And I was like, hey, I'm actually good at this. So I left the Navy and I was like, hey, that cybersecurity stuff was really cool. I got to defend nation secrets. I got to defend, uh, felt like I was doing a, a good thing in the world, like making the world a better and safer place. And I've been doing it since then. And I also realized... Well, I didn't realize it then, but I'm like, I knew then, okay, being a woman in the Navy, we're kind of rare. I think there's maybe 10% uh, of the military is women. Um, I knew I was in a male-dominated industry. Then I joined a male-dominated industry in tech. Um, and I've been involved with various nonprofits since I left the military. I still do work with a lot of veterans. I work with several veterans nonprofits, serve as a mentor. Um, and also just as kind of like a career advisor for for veterans leaving the military, military spouses too, they get left behind all the time. Um, I also work with various nonprofits trying to get more women into cybersecurity, more women into tech. I'm wearing a t-shirt that says Cyber Tech Girls. So shout out to my good friend, Toby West, um, soon to be Dr. Toby West. Nice. Um, but it's a it's a group that is trying to get more middle school and high school girls interested into cybersecurity. Um, specifically from the the places where schools don't have the best funding. We're talking inner city schools. We're talking schools from the uh, now what they call the uh, economically uh, not as privileged areas. And I'm really proud. One of the girls that I mentored, gosh, when she was in seventh grade, she just entered college this last year majoring in computer science. And now she is turning around and mentoring girls. So I'm really thrilled to hear that. Uh, Women's Society Cyber Jitsu is another group that I've been involved with for many years. Uh, serve as a mentor there. Have helped many women get into the cybersecurity field. Founded a co-founded a nonprofit a few years ago called Cyber DEI, Cyber Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, because um, we realized that the it's the intersectionality of diversity that was really important. Because you can't necessarily just be fit into a box of okay, I'm just a woman, but I'm also a disabled veteran. Where does that fit? Um, not necessarily welcome in the veterans communities, 
but I have a different experience than my fellow women. Um, so we created that group. We just hit our 70th hire. So since we were founded in 2020, even though they were super small and grassroots, uh, we've helped 70 underrepresented people get jobs in cybersecurity. Um, and it's growing. So do all of that. Um, and I actually just left my job. Um, uh, interesting story there. I don't know if we have time to go into it today, but... Uh, go, go for it. I mean, I have all the time in the world. Yeah, go for it. Let's um, hear it. So interestingly enough, I was at a, I was at a consulting firm um, called RSM, and I discovered that six women were being underpaid compared to their male counterparts. And I taught them how to advocate for themselves. I talked to them about pay equity. I talked about compensation and I showed them where to look up fair market value, where to look up proper pay, et cetera. I shared with them my, my pay as an example. Um, and I taught them, okay, here's how you would go about advocating for yourself. Here's what you would say. Here's who you would talk to. Well, the firm didn't take too kindly to that. So I got a coaching call from my boss as well as another partner, happened to be the only female partner in the firm. And uh, they were, I was told what I was doing was disruptive and that could uh, be seen as something that could prevent me being promoted. Now, mind you, I was one of two CISOs in the firm. I actually helped co-develop this, the virtual CISO program at the firm. I was also one of the private equity leads. Um, I had received countless accolades and praise for the work that I was doing. I had uh, people that I was managing. I managed major projects. I was putting together uh, building cybersecurity programs. Again, pretty big in this firm. Overnight, I was pulled from projects. I was uh, removed from meetings. I was left out of important emails. Um, I had passive aggressive emails and conversations from management. Um, and I told him, I was like, I will not back down. I, I believe that this is right. What I'm doing is right. I had discovered that my colleague who had just joined my team, she was a fellow woman. She was going to start doing CISO work along with me. And I discovered that she was being paid $60,000 less than me. She lives in a high cost of living area. I live in a high cost of living area. Sure. Do I have a little bit more experience than she does? Okay. Does that mean that I should be paid $60,000 more than her? Also, let me throw out there, she's the only non-white person on the team. She's a black woman being paid $60,000 less than her white colleagues. This is wrong. I raised this. I was like, no, this is absolutely wrong. She should be making well more than that, at least with a pay band with us. This is ridiculous. Um, and I was told, stay in my lane. Again, I got a coaching call after the first coaching call. I got a coaching call from the board, one of the board members. Um, she also said uh, what I was doing was wrong, disruptive, et cetera. Uh, I said, no, I'm not going to back down. I still believe we're just, we're just going to have to agree to disagree because I still believe that this is uh, absolutely wrong the way that we're handling things here. And I still believe that she should be fairly compensated for the work that she's doing. Uh, a few weeks later, I was put on a performance improvement plan. And uh, again, one of the leaders in this firm and at, up until this point had received nothing but praise. I was, I was the leader and initiator in many projects. I built many cybersecurity programs for different companies, put on a performance improvement plan. It's, they specifically called out 
I am not allowed to discuss pay compensation with my colleagues. Oh, I took a screenshot of it because I was like, this is so illegal. And I pointed out to them. I was like, do you know what you're doing is illegal? Do you know that this is retaliation? Do you know that I'm protected under the law? And yeah. uh, they just didn't care. So yeah. I, uh, I quit in a, with a, with a, I'm proud of my epic email that I sent them. I quit last week and I accepted a role at a new firm or a new company. I'm really excited about the, um, when I was interviewing, you know, I, I was, when I was interviewing, I was looking at companies specifically for, okay, who actually gives a shit about diversity, equity, inclusion. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of being the only one in the room. I'm tired of being the only one that gives a shit about this. Who was along with me for the ride? And that's one thing. And I, I was like, I know this market. I know that I'll be able to find a job very easily. And so I really grilled companies on their DEI initiatives. And I, I interviewed with the you know more established companies, the larger companies, as well as, as startups. Startups blew the, the larger companies out of the water with their DEI programs. And I'm really excited about my new company. Um, they are... Let's see. I think I can announce this. I started in a couple of weeks, um, but I'm going to go with Corvus Insurance. And uh, one of my one of my friends actually recommended me or referred me to the role. Um, he joined my nonprofit, and you know he was espousing how amazing, inclusive they were. And everyone I talked to at the company, they were great. And even to the point where I was, I was tell- asking them, "Hey, what what are your DI initiatives here?" Uh, this is my top priority. This is what I care about. Sure, the tech is great. I love the tech. However, what's your DEI? And I love that they, that the CISO and um, a few of the other people were like, hang on, we can't answer all of your questions. Would you like us to set up a time for you to interview our person who is heading up our DEI? Not that she can interview me, that I was going to interview her. Nice. And ended up having a 30 minute conversation with her that expanded to an hour. And I, I loved her, her fire to passion. Seems like we were, we were connected. And so I was like, all right, this is the company. If any, any of these other startups, like, all right, what of your, all of your offers, like you have to beat this company who also like they have, they cover full transgender, uh, all medical care which is amazing. I have some trans friends who are afraid to leave their jobs because they do not feel that they can get the same care elsewhere. And so yeah. I'm always cognizant of that. I'm always on the lookout for that. They, they also have Juneteenth as an official holiday. And I was like, yes, this is a company where I feel like finally, all right, I think we're speaking the same language here. So I'm really excited to start that role. Um, I will be um, manager of cybersecurity there. Uh, working along with the CISO, heading up their cloud security and security engineering. So super startup phase, um, really excited to grow that out. So that was my long-winded, crazy tale that has just been, a, I've had a wild journey the last, like, I feel like few months, maybe years, I don't know, but uh, really excited to see where it goes from here. <laughs> I love the story. And first of all, I'm also sorry that, you know, your colleagues had to have to experience that that's um yeah. that's unfortunate to to hear that it's that it exists and is so prevalent but congratulations to to you on on what seems to be a very epic win i'm stoked for you for you for sure i think this next question might be redundant you tell me what do you hate most about the industry 
Ooh. It might surprise you, actually. Um, I think I I hate most about the cybersecurity industry the the egos. There there are a select few, and this is kind of it's one thing I like about cybersecurity is everybody. Most people seem to work as a team, and it's it's not like in in the developer world where you could be heads down only focusing on your code and you don't have to talk to another human being, maybe unless you do a code review. In cybersecurity, you do have to reach out. You have, you can't know everything. Um, There are a select few individuals who, I don't know, they seem very prima donna. That's not who I am. That's not, I don't like detention. I don't like limelight. So it annoys me some people um, who are and I hate this term too, like influencers. And I was like, it seems like all they do is just want attention. And I, I think in the cybersecurity industry, we we also, we do a bad job of like feeding into that. Um, and I think that can, that can also weed out a lot of the other voices in the room. So then you'll have like some very strong personalities and very strong voices. Um, and then you don't get to hear the other voices. And I try to be very cognizant of that. And I try to, um, you know, I get asked to speak a lot. So I try to divert and I will say, no, actually, let me introduce you to somebody else. They haven't gotten a chance to speak yet. You should hear from them. They have something, they have a really cool talk or whatever. Let me recommend them to you instead of me. Um, and I wish more people in, in the industry would do that. Um, you know, if you've had your turn, share share the mic, you know, shout out to, to my friend who founded Share the Mic at Cyber. Um, and so I, I think that's the <clears throat> that's the biggest thing is like there there can be a lot of egos in this industry. And there shouldn't be. In cybersecurity, it should just be a team. We all work together. We all watch each other's backs, especially on the blue t- blue team side. Um, and I, I think that will also help alleviate some of the other issues, right? The pay pay equity issues or, you know, making a more inclusive and diverse and equitable work environment. Leave, check your ego at the door. We don't need that. Mm -hmm. And that goes for both genders because I've had women be very egotistical, men be very egotistical. So that's equal opportunity being a shithead, I think, with the egos. You're in a transition phase now, but as a CISO, you're, you know, you're still a CISO. You're now going to move into an executive position. What is your one bleeding neck challenge? Oh, the one? Oh, man. Well, I just got to pick one. I would say uh, with all the different companies that I've worked with, um, it's always the number one asset management. I know it's so simple. Or it seems so simple, but every company I've walked into where I need to build up their program or whatever, um, at, at Hulu, when I was uh, called up to, to uh, build their vulnerability management program and head it up, first thing I asked was, okay, how many assets do we have at Hulu? Crickets. No one knew. And I was like, y'all, you've been around for a long time. You don't have to know how many assets you have. So first thing I did was like a several month asset discovery. And I'm pretty sure I got within 95% coverage, but that's the hardest one because that as soon as you take your eyes off of like one set of group, 
and you get hit there, even if you're 95% covered and you have the best tools and products in the world, all, all it takes is one system that you don't have eyes on, that you don't know exists, that has an open S3 bucket somewhere or something, and you get popped. And now you are the head of security that, you know, lost Disney or, or Hulu or whatever. I was always my like, what, what keeps me up at night was, please don't let Disney get owned. That'll be the end of my career <laughs> in cybersecurity. So asset discovery, it's still, it's the number one universal challenge across every organization I've ever worked with. And then after that follows, you know, like vulnerability management, incident response, et cetera, et cetera. But if you don't know what you have, how do you know you can secure it? Right. So given those challenges, then what are what is your goal? The goal would be find some tool or some sort of system or some sort of solution that can do auto discovery because too many companies are still doing a manual process like spreadsheet of IP subnets. Come on. I want to see everything. Um, so some sort of tool that will do auto discovery to to take the weight off of those in infrastructure or those in, in security um, and then make sure that that's continuously running. So then that way, as soon as a new asset or a new thing will pop up, bam, we're going to automatically get our security tools um, on that particular thing. Or we're going to identify what is this thing? Is this a rogue device, et cetera? Um, then that way that can help out our, our defenders. Um, and hopefully, again, fingers crossed, it's always that budgetary concern. Hopefully the, the folks in leadership will agree to purchase the tool and continue to fund the tool because that would be the secondary challenge. Right. Take me back to the day when you first decided you needed to evaluate a new asset discovery tool. I would say the... So the most interesting one would have to be from when I was head of vulnerability management at Hulu. Um, again, I said, you know, we we walked, I walked into the environment, asked, all right, how many assets are we dealing with? They were like, we're not sure, maybe like 30,000. Okay, I, I, I'm going to verify that. We didn't really have a great asset discovery tool. This was, the other problem was we're using multiple environments. We had a little bit of on-prem, we had AWS, we had some GCP, um, we had multiple different tools, uh, multiple different dev environments. Um, and so it's like, okay, well, how do you pull all of that together? And how can I use one tool that's going to look at everything? And that was a big challenge because, you know, okay, some tools exist out there like Jamf, right? That's like the number one for Mac devices. Okay, we had Mac devices. We, we also had Windows devices. We also had Linux devices. Okay, what can discover Linux devices as well? Uh, what can discover virtual machines? What can discover containers? So they're really like, I was looking around and I had, I was familiar with some tools and we had some existing like Avanti and Jamf. Okay, great. Um, but what can also do container scanning? What can do container discovery? Um, also, too, if you think about the challenge with Hulu is we were pushing, um, we were publishing containers and then removing them every second. So trying to get an eye on things and trying to get a handle on things, you need the continuous discovery. All of those things combined 
I was like, all right, magical, wonderful tool. What exists that can handle all of these things? Or can I do a combination of tools? I ended up having to do a combination of tools, again, because having to work with different operating systems, work with different um, environments between cloud on-prem, the different cloud environments, um, and had to marry that all, put that all into Splunk, and just build out this really long query and just hope for the best. And I was like, man, if somebody creates a tool that can like help all of this, because you figure all of that time that I spent doing that, that was a lot of time and a lot of my effort invested into just trying to do asset discovery. I'll tell you what, the 30,000 that they thought existed, I discovered 65,000 through that. And I was like, okay, that doubled what we thought was here. That makes me think, like, did I get all of it because of having to pull everything together? Do I fully trust my janky query and Splunk? Yes. Um, maybe I probably could I fix the syntax? Probably. Um, so that's the sort of things that I needed. I needed to have it be continuous discovery. I needed the timing. I'm also the only person, I was the only person doing vulnerability management. So I also had to do the remediation. I had to help with um, AppSec and CloudSec. So I'm filling multiple roles and having to pull all these tools all together and hope that I have them set up right and hope that I have the query right, hope that all the API pools are actually working correctly. That's a lot of putting a lot of trust in tools and we are suspicious people. So. There was a lot of uh, a lot of late nights with some beers at 10, 10 p.m., checking my queries and checking the tools. What changed that you decided now is the time to to do what you did? I think at first I was trying to use what tools existed because a lot of times when when you know you're in a security leadership role and you step into an environment, you didn't build the, the environment, you look at, you have to do an initial evaluation and say, all right, what do we have right now? What is the company paying for right now? Because a lot of the times we might not have the budget to do a new tool or we don't want to introduce a new tool to the environment. Let's evaluate the tool we have now. So mm-hmm. that's what usually it starts out with. Um, and that was most, uh, my most recent example was I I just built a, uh, cybersecurity program for a casino this year, and they had nothing in place. They had some tools installed, misconfigured to all get out. Um, and the people that were there, they were given the title of cybersecurity engineer, but had never been fully, formally trained. Their former head of security didn't share any knowledge, so they were completely clueless. Um, basically, zero cybersecurity knowledge. They had some tools that were installed but not configured properly. So the first thing I did as a, as a leader was like, all right, tell me what tools we have. I want to know which vendors we have. I want to know the contracts that we have with the vendors. I want to know the support that we have. Because also I'm working with security engineers who don't know how to use the tools. So I'm not about to introduce a new tool to the environment until we look at, okay, what tools do we have? What tools do we have installed? What did the company pay for first? then I could start to evaluate what new tools can I use to supplement or replace tools that I think that we evaluate that aren't working. Um, I actually discovered several tools that had never been installed properly and they weren't working anyway. So I was like, well, why pay for this tool if it's not doing anything 
and we literally have three other tools that are doing the same thing, we're going to eliminate that tool. Okay, let's introduce a better tool. Let's go and evaluate. Um, you know, I know my favorite tools, but let's let's evaluate and see what's on the market, what will work in this environment. Um, so that's that's kind of like going back to Hulu. That's what I had to do first. It's like, all right, what is our environment? What are the tools that we have here first? What do we already have installed? What did the company already pay for? How can I use the existing tools and the existing environment to do asset discovery? If I don't think that that did the job and that that was fully complete, okay, now I'm going to look at what can I use to supplement? What can I use to work in addition to the existing tools? And that's a lot of times across all the, all the different companies that I've worked with and all the different roles that I've had in cybersecurity. It's always about what tool can be as a supplement to the main or primary cybersecurity tool. It's rarely mm. a straight out replacement because ripping out a tool that's already embedded within the environment is such a pain. It's such a huge process. And we're already understaffed. We're already under budgeted. Um, you know, like we don't, just don't have the, the capability to do that. Everything that we want is like, how will this make our lives easier? How will this save us some personnel hours? Um, how will this help us automate our lives? I love that. That's, uh, you know, most of us are, uh, as marketers, think about how to run competitive displacement ads when in most cases you're not trying to replace those tools. Mm -hmm. They're just complementing existing tools. And in, in many cases, competitors, your competitors are working in conjunction with your solution as well. So uh, that's a key insight here for me, at least. And, and I, I think others as well. Take me through what you did and thought about during the, the journey of researching a, a security tool for, for asset discovery. And how do you go about also separating the wheat from the chaff from, among those mm -hmm. endless vendors? Yeah, so... It's funny because I, I want to say, was it a couple of years ago? I was at a conference, um, sorry, pre-COVID, pre I should say that, like 2019, I think. Um, there was, I, I attended a talk and there was somebody that was going to put together like a, um, a tech tool rating system or something. It was going to be like the, the, what do they call it? the Yelp for tools. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. That way, like we can get actual, because as I'm researching, I want to, I want to see like, give me the Yelp reviews. Like who rated this as one star? Like, what were your challenges? What were your problems? Um, and I never saw that launch and I'm really bummed out about that because that's something that what, what y'all may not know is that those of us in the cybersecurity industry, uh, we talk about tools all the time. And we have our Slack channels, we have our discords, and we have our, our, our trust circles, quote unquote. And we'll ask each other, like, hey, what do y'all think about, uh, I'll, I'll just throw it out there, Darktrace, for instance. Um, you know, and like, do you like this tool? What were your challenges? Like, my client's using it, and uh, I'm not thrilled with them, and I haven't heard good things about them. I haven't used them in years, but I didn't really like them. Um, no offense to Darktrace listening, but, you know, what do you think about it? Sure enough. I got a whole bunch of messages and a lot of comments of people like talking about their challenges and about, um, you know, what, what they ran into and like, oh yeah, you really need like some very, 
uh, intelligent and very experienced engineers in order to put this together. And I was like, well, that doesn't fit my client. They are brand new. I need a tool that is basically what we called them in the Navy sailor proof. Like I need to set it and forget it. Um, they don't need an overcomplicated tool. So that was actually part of helping my decision to say, eh, dark trace is installed within their environment. I think we're going to, where I think we're going to eliminate it in addition to reading, like, okay, going on other forums or, um, reading different things. Cause a lot of the stuff that I would read, okay, it's just marketing. So no offense. I'm just like, okay, this is what you're telling me, but I want to know like actual factual, how was it to set it up? How was it to operate it? What did it look like your day in and day out? I want to see all of that data because then I need to make an evaluation of can my people actually utilize it? Can we actually use this in the environment? What's my sprint planning going to look like? How big of a project is this going to be? How many hours is this going to take to set up? What's the support that I'm going to get from the company? Um, shout out to Rapid7 where, again, with my client, Rapid7 was installed and that was what they're using for IR and for, for incident response as well as vulnerability management. Both sides of the house, as well as their seam, all of it misconfigured, all of it not put up, put together correctly. And Rapid7, I was, I had to bring down my, my very, my mean CISO hammer on them and they were great. They were very responsive. They set up, you know, customer service calls. They set up training. That's exactly what I needed because I'm just one person. I can't train. I can't be in three different places at once training them how to set up this thing. I needed to rely on the vendor. Like, what kind of support are you going to give me? I'm in a rush. I don't know if we are compromised or yet. I, I feel like the, the castle gates are wide open. I need to secure this right now. I need help right now. So that's another thing I look at is like, what kind of vendor support do you have? Do you have customer service reps who are going to be able to answer our questions within 24, 48 hours? Um, are you going to be able to walk us through the tool or are you just going to send us a bunch of documentation and be like, figure it out? YOLO, good luck. Um, no time for that. I, I need, in some instances, handholding because your mm -hmm. tool should work correctly and and i i will trust the vendor to set that up correctly so i, I look into all of that when i'm evaluating a tool uh, because i know you know essentially i would want an intern to be able to run the tool that's kind of what i have in mind can can i put an intern in front of a tool in front of a console can they get the proper training and can they eventually run the tool because i don't want to just have to always rely on uh, you know, senior or experienced engineers, you know, there's yep. a finite number of them in the industry. hundred percent. Again, so insightful. I want to have a little bit of fun here. This is, this is my favorite part of the, the set, the session. It's called the shitless quick fire. And I want to know what is the worst thing you've experienced from a vendor? Oh, I think I said it at the beginning, but um, I have had this multiple times where a vendor will contact me and say, hey, I love what you're doing with diversity, equity, inclusion. I'm also supportive of diversity, equity, inclusion. Let me sell you this tool that I'm trying to try to advertise here. Oh, no, that is a surefire way to get on my permanent block. I will blast you. I'll put I've put these vendors on blast and I'm like, how dare you use diversity, equity, inclusion 
to sell your tool to me. No, do not ever, ever, ever mix those two. It's great to sponsor a women's event or maybe a Blacks and Cyber event or something like that on behalf of your tool and just say, hey, our company cares, blah, blah, blah. Fine. Do not reach out to somebody and be like, hey, I care about pride. Check out this tool that has nothing to do with pride. Yeah. Do not ever, 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 ever do that. You will get roasted. Same with the conflict. Like I was waiting with the with the Russian Ukraine conflict. I was like, I was waiting. Any vendor that came out and you know tried to say anything about the Ukrainian conflict and trying to sell their tool, I was like, nope. They are immediately going on my do not ever, uh, you know, talk to list. Do not use human suffering in order to sell your tool. Holy cow! No, you are on my shit list forever. Yep. This is why I like the shit list. Good stories. <laughs> This is why it's the most fun part of the the podcast. Um, okay, so so then what's the what's the alternative for for people trying to to engage with you? That's always the challenge. Um, so during COVID, I know everyone was just so flustered and just frustrated and overworked. And I have a lot of friends who work in marketing and sales at various tech firms in. You know, having been a founder of a company and tried to do the sales thing, spoiler alert, I'm not good at it. I feel like a weird, creepy, stalkery ex-girlfriend when I do it. So props to all of you who sell things. This awkward nerd cannot do it. Um, I really feel for y'all because uh, I saw a lot of posts from my fellow cybersecurity folks in, in the industry who were saying like, oh, I'm too busy. Don't reach out to me, blah, blah, blah. That's not the solution. Um, you're just being rude. And... I, I think a good way is demonstrate your product. You know, show us how is this going to help us, um, you know, make our lives easier. I just saw a demo for a product the other day that I was so impressed with. It was a two-minute video. And it was the, the, I think it was like the co-founder was walking through and actually did a live demo, showed the code behind it showed how easy it is to integrate it, and then showed different challenges that can be overcome. So it got, basically in two minutes, I knew what the product did. I knew who the who the company was. I knew what it could integrate with, what problem it was trying to solve. Um, and I knew that, you know, it overcame some challenges that I was already predicting. I was like, wow, this was one of the greatest demo slash pitches I saw was only two minutes. That's all the time I have for. And I just happened to see this person posted it on LinkedIn. Didn't reach out to me, didn't reach out to anybody, was just like, put it out there. Here you go. Um, and one of my buddies commented on it. That's how I saw it. And I was like, wow, I already sent that to, you know, my my new boss, uh, the CISO. And I was like, we should take a look at this product. I was very impressed with this demo. He's like, this is great. Yeah, let's let's take a look at this. Hey, I've also been talking about these other products. Um, so that's more like get more demos where it's to the point, it's short and, you know, have the engineers talk to engineers. I think that's a big one is when when you have marketers and like I would I would recommend to anybody in, in marketing and sales is maybe study up on Security Plus, you know, getting just a little bit of security knowledge and being able to speak our language man, will that open doors to you more than anything else? Because if you start to talk to me about like, 
um, we'll say like asset discovery. And then I ask you a question about container scanning. And then you're like, like tough work daters. Hey, I, you're going to lose me. I'm just be like, you are not speaking my language. You don't understand my problem. Uh, I'm not talking about no Tupperware. Come on. I think that would be extremely helpful. And some of my friends who have gone and, and gotten their security plus and they're still in sales, like they were, they were like, this is amazing. All of a sudden I'm way more successful. It's like, yes, you need to speak to nerdy engineers. We are awkward. We speak engineer speak. If you can, if you can speak to us, you might just get us. So yeah. that'd be one thing I would say for y'all is do a little bit of studying, listen to, attend some talks, listen to what we're, what we're talking about. And uh, that could be a way you can social engineer your way into our nerdiness. So <laughs> there you go. That's it. You're actually the second person on the podcast that has recommended marketers and sales to, to pursue security plus uh, Ryan Cloutier mm -hmm. actually, uh, promoted that like he was one of the first conversations I, I've had on the podcast and I had asked him as marketers what is one thing that we can do to improve ourselves and be more literate and that was what he said so mm -hmm. love it now let's flip it on its head what's one thing a vendor has done that has made you feel good Ooh. so Oh, that's that's tough because um, there have been a lot of good vendors and I've liked them for different reasons. Again, um, if we talk about simply on the support side, there have been, um, like I said, shout out to Rapid7 for their amazing support where we have a completely misconfigured tool and people don't know how to use it. And I am one security person. Um, they did a great job of being fast to respond to emails and being fast to get support as much as they're also slammed. So getting us support as quickly as they can, that was fantastic. Um, on the other side of it, I mentioned earlier, you know, I don't, I don't appreciate vendors who just reach out. They're like, Hey, we care about DEI. Here's our tool. Um, shout out to Synac, you know, Synac hosts a lot of uh, women in cybersecurity events and, you know, diversity in cybersecurity events. And they're not trying to sell their platform at these events. They understand, hey, this is a particular a particular space. Um, and I really appreciate that. They have candid conversations and they, um, you know, they seem to actually give a shit about bringing in more security researchers and more pen testers who are women who will use their program and use their platform. Um, and shout out to Ryan at, at Cinec where he reaches out to me and he knows to go to me for, Hey, we have this, we're launching this women and at Cinec program, or we have this thing, you know, can you share, would you mind sharing it with your network? And I would love to have more people there. There we go. There's a vendor who they, I know that they attend different events. I know that they, they sponsor like at RSA, they, they always sponsor uh, big women's events and they really make us feel welcome, especially in spaces where we're still vastly underrepresented. And that goes a long way. So if I remember that, I also remember the vendor that had the puppies for adoption at RSA. We always joke RSA is vendor con. How about the vendors who are actually doing things where they were like, hey, we're not, we're not going to have any swag or anything, but um, here's a token where, you know, put your vote for what's your favorite thing, uh, what's your favorite nonprofit 
uh, of these two buckets. And then we're going to donate money to this favorite nonprofit. And one was like Girls of Code. One was like Blacks in Cyber. One was yeah. like Women in Cybersecurity. Wow. And all of them got got donations. Fantastic. Yeah. You know what? That's a vendor who I think is going to have um, more empathy. They're going to they're probably going to care more about my problems at my company. They're probably going to listen to me. They're probably going to uh, get me more support just because they had a different approach. So I remember those sort of things and they stick with me. And guess what? We all talk about this, too. So I think having a different approach where it's a more caring and empathetic and getting involved and and doing this outreach, that really stays because then you don't just seem as like, uh, and I hate to use this term, it's slimy salespeople, right? Um, no, it seems like, oh, these people actually, they actually give a shit about the community. They might actually give a shit about me and my problems. Okay, I, uh, I might trust them a little bit more than your average, your average company. There you go. That's absolutely incredible. I love those stories. And this episode is going to go such a long way. I know it. We're literally at the end of time. And I really appreciate, you know, you taking an hour out of your day to, to talk with me. I know an hour is a long time. So I do appreciate it. Before we, we sign off, what's kind of one thing you want to impart uh, to us today? Have patience. You know, I... I, I must apologize on behalf of a lot of my fellow leaders of cybersecurity. A lot of us are tired. We don't have the teams. We don't have the budget. Maybe we're not in positions of leadership or maybe you're not in positions of authority to purchase these tools. Mm -hmm. um, please have patience and also understand no means no. No means no in many, 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 many different contexts. No means no. Um, you know, if we say not now, please don't, um, please don't continue. Um, maybe put a note in your calendar for like six months later to like then do a follow-up and do a check-in, but please don't harass us, especially women. Uh, women, we seem to get harassed a lot and it can feel very, uh, it's, it can start to feel kind of creepy. I've had yeah. many men, um, sales folks who have reached out to me and they have not taken no for an answer. And I am not one who... Uh, you know, was very timid about that. So I've told them right away, do you understand the concept of no? And so please be patient with us and don't give up. I know that you're doing hard work. I know that you're doing jobs that I am terrible at. I've done it. So I'm very empathetic to what you what you do. Um, and And please don't take that some of us are very rude to you. I apologize on behalf of them. Um, you know, just please understand where we're coming from. A lot of times yeah. our hands are tied yeah. and it just, it just sucks. So yeah. thank you for doing the hard work that I definitely don't want to do. <laughs> I appreciate it. it. It's meaningful to me that you are as a buyer, as a security practitioner, are empathetic to us. That means a lot because we are exposed to a lot of negativity uh, mm -hmm. from, from your kind, if you will. Most of us are just trying to do our jobs well, and this is this is my attempt, at least. So I appreciate it. Uh, Malia, this has been absolutely incredible. Thank you so much again. And you're always welcome back on the podcast. We're excited to have you on Dr. Dark Web. I'm stoked. It's been a while since he and I have been on a podcast together. Again, it was like COVID just, I think the last time we were at was maybe RSA. 
might have been yeah rsa 2020 i think we're on a podcast or maybe it was a christmas podcast i forget he had a (laughs) santa hat on and had jingle bells in his beard so i'm uh i'm excited to meet up with my buddy again awesome it's always a great conversation with him (laughs) awesome awesome well thanks again malia all right thank you so much thanks for tuning in to this episode of audience first If you like what you've heard, feel free to follow or subscribe to Audience First on Apple, Spotify, or any of your favorite podcast streamers.